Challenges of Faith radio program. My name is Gary McCance, the producer and host. Today's guest is author Sarah, also known as S.A. Jewell, who has authored a new book titled Solomon's Concubine. Sarah, welcome to Challenges of Faith radio program. Well, thank you so much, Gary. I'm absolutely delighted to be here, and I truly appreciate your invite, and I, and I hope that your listeners find this to be pretty interesting. Hey, it's an honor to have you on, and I can't wait, along with the listeners, to, to hear uh, about this particular book that you've written. First and well, foremost, how are, you and, how are you and your loved ones? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, we just recently got a, a, a new puppy. I know we're crazy. And the, and the puppy's like between one and two two years old, and then I have a, an eight-year-old dog. Uh-oh. So all day long, I've been refereeing. Yeah, I've been refereeing the two of them, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> uh oh. Well, here we go. But you're doing good. Good. Matter of fact, what are their names? Oh, Winnie and Tanny. Winnie right. is the older one, and Tanny is the younger one. Didn't want to get you in trouble with them when you got when you finished the interview, because they want to know why you mentioned it. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Sarah, what were your aspirations while growing up? Well, Gary, I um I really I really I really always liked writing and I enjoyed creating little stories. But I never really thought of myself too much of a as a writer. Um I went to art school and I thought that, well, maybe I'll do graphic design. And then um when I graduated from art school Kind of hard in those days. It was kind of hard to find a reasonable job in graphic design, so I ended up working for um, a newspaper for a while, and then I ultimately got into marketing. And I, I got into marketing for the um, uh, for RCA at the time. They had a company called RCA Automated Systems, and they did government work. So I, I ended up doing marketing. I guess that's the long and short mm-hmm. of it, because um, <laughs> that's how I earned a living. That's right. That's right. And you mentioned school, BFA, but you hold a MA in Bible studies and a BFA. Why did you attend those separate colleges for those field of studies? Well, again, I thought that um, I would get into graphic design, so I went and I got my um, bachelor's in fine arts. I went to uh, Massachusetts College of Art. And quite frankly, you know, again, as I said, when I graduated, it was really difficult to find a job. Um, but I ended up anyway, long story short, I did end up doing some, some marketing work, which you have to have some kind of artistic background, certainly when you're doing advertising and brochures and um, uh, logos and that sort of thing. But then the Lord called me, <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was not young. I mean, I was in my, I think, 40s maybe, early mm-hmm. 50s. No, late, late 40s, late 40s. Well, you're only, you're only and, 30 um, now. So go ahead. <laughs> In your eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. I'll have to remember that. Um, and I, I wanted to know more about the Lord. You know, I grew up as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And um, they, the priests really talked about the triune God and talked about the Jesus, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father and talked about sin and, and, and would, would read every Sunday um, just maybe a paragraph or two from the Gospels. And so I never knew, I never knew who like Paul was or Matthew or John or Luke. I didn't have a clue. And um, I decided as I got older, I got to find out who these people are. And I know the Lord put it in my heart. There's no question about it. So anyway, I ended up going to um, a, a college in, in Deerfield Beach and I got my master's in um, Bible studies, and it was it was just it was such a fantastic course. Well, I took three three years to do it, but it was absolutely fantastic, and I loved it, and I learned so much. and And since since I took those classes, and I learned so much about what the Gospels were really all about, particularly the different personalities and the different focuses and the different thoughts. Um, as as I got a little bit older, I thought, you know what? A lot of people don't get it. They don't understand who the Lord is. They don't understand who Jesus is. 
So I started off with a children's book because I thought, you know what, I would like kids to know who Jesus really is. So that was my first book, which was um, A Christmas Dinosaur. And, and then the next book that followed that was Visit from a Shepherd Boy. But overall, what the idea was was to introduce preteens and teens who Jesus was and how he came to be on this earth. And, of course, I, inter- mm-hmm. I intertwined it with, you know, an a, um, adventure-type story. But my, my goal was, was to talk to kids about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you had that hunger for the word for the knowledge. It reminded me um, when I started off <laughs> and I thought I had it going on. And at my first Bible study, they were older individuals uh, surrounding me. And I asked them to turn to the book of Job. And they was like, well, where is I that at? Him. You know, and I meant to say Job, but um, hey, you have to learn. And so as a result exactly. of um, saying that I had that desire to continue to learn more about the Lord and his word and as you so sharing. Sarah, let's touch on your new book, Solomon's Concubine. Why did you write it? Well, I think your listeners are going to find this to be a little bit interesting. I always heard about Solomon and his great wisdom and when people talked about Solomon, they, they really talked about him in a very positive way, certainly in church. And um, I was uh, at, a, at a Bible study, and um, my, my pastor was talking about Solomon and Solomon's wisdom, etc. cetera. And um, I said to him, you know, everybody making a, everybody's making a big deal about Solomon, but he had a thousand women. I mean, what's up with that? A thousand women? I mean, I mean, and, and of course, you know, do, do the math in your head, which I'm not trying to get graphic, but seriously, do the math in your head. And, you, and I thought to myself, you know, here was a guy who God visited him t- at least two times and spoke to him directly, gave him his heart's desire, which at that time was wisdom. But on top of wisdom, he gave him wealth, and he he gave him power, and 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 Solomon just went the opposite way of what the Lord wanted him to do. And so I thought, you know, as a woman and as a Christian woman, and, and by the way, um, I, I went from Catholicism because I needed a little bit more detail about how things were going, and I kind of ended up in the kind of non-denominational Baptist type theology, and um, and 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 my pastor. Was a, was a, is a pastor who really gets deep into study. And so that's mm-hmm. how it happened to come about with Solomon's concubine. And I thought, well, shoot, suppose, suppose one of those women didn't want to be one of his women. You know, mm-hmm. how, how, how did that woman feel? But if you read the Bible and you study the Bible, you never hear about any of his women other than his relationship with the Queen of Sheba and with his, and they only brush briefly on his first on his first wife, which was um, Pharaoh's daughter. Mm-hmm. And I thought I got to do some study about this because Solomon is not. I'm not a fan of Solomon. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not. So God took me on this journey. He took me on this journey, and 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 the journey showed me a scenario about what happens if a person, a woman, didn't want to be in that situation. And as I was working through the story, oh, I'm telling you something, Gary, the Lord was just like showing me all of these other thoughts, other, these other ideas, this, this clarity, and then, and, and, and I wouldn't give away the story, but, but the biggest thing that I realized was, you know what, we can't judge people because we don't know what happens at the nth hour. So, so I started on Solomon's concubine because I was ticked off at Solomon. I couldn't understand why he had a thousand women while he had all of this money, and yet I could. So, so I thought to myself, well, I'm going to write it from the standpoint of a woman who didn't want to be one of his women. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting is I listened along with the listeners. The um, we're talking about relationships. 
and and I appreciate what you're sharing from a woman's perspective. And I try to say to men, and as you were sharing how the word lets us know how many ladies he had in his life that we know of. And um, I say to men, you know, <laughs> think about it. It, it. You know, if there's just one lady in your life, and irrespective of what it all goes on, could you imagine this man with a thousand, with God's wisdom, too? And so as it correlates back to exactly what you're sharing, you're laying it all out. And that which you're laying out, men who are listening, we want to pay attention because of the sensitivity of learning not only from Solomon, but from the ladies that was in his life that we're listening to from a woman's perspective of what they may have thought and said during that time, knowing that there's nothing new under the sun. Sarah, despite his powerful position, how did Solomon allow temptations to have victory over him? Well, I understand and, and, and through the reading, and, and honestly, Gary, I, I didn't do any extra study on him. I just really stuck mm-hmm. to scriptures, and I really stuck to, you know, First Kings and Second Chronicles, where they talk about Solomon. Um, I uh, I think that he got carried away from an ego standpoint about his wisdom, and I think that when he started to collect all these women. A part of it was he was making alliances, which I totally understand. A part of it was he was getting wealth probably from other countries. And then a part of it was just the feeling that if he saw a beautiful woman or or had somebody find him a beautiful woman, he had the ability to have that beautiful woman. Now, what's really interesting, and I just want to throw this in as a sidebar, because you're going to be talking to um, um uh, Archie, um, oh my God, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. Roy for uh-huh. King King Sol- yeah, yeah, Archie Roy mm-hmm. for, for King Solomon's Empire. Now his mm-hmm. book came out a few months after my book, and it's a nonfiction. Mm-hmm. But I would like to tell your readers, I mean your listeners, to read my book and mm-hmm. read his book because mm-hmm. you're going to see an astounding correlation of this mm-hmm. personality that Solomon had. And Archie Mm -hmm. kind of pinpoints a psychological reason why Solomon had all these women. And again, I Mm -hmm. won't give anything away. But Mm -hmm. the interesting thing is that even though he he had such a powerful position, I think his ego allowed Mm -hmm. him to take on all of those women regardless of what the Lord had already laid down. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you're really only supposed Mm -hmm. to have one woman. Mm-hmm. And so he gathered riches, he gathered women, he gathered possessions, he gathered power, and um, I think I think it was I think it was ego. Mm-hmm. You know how we battle against flesh and spirit. Uh-huh. I think the uh-huh. flesh won in his case. Mm-hmm. Now again, I'm not I'm not making a judgment call on him, but you're saying it as it is. Yeah, but a big period of time, I think the flesh mm-hmm. got the upper hand of the spirit. Mm-hmm. No, I, I listen, you, you, you're saying it as it is. You know, one thing, as we know from God's perspective, especially as you mentioned Chronicles, you know, God doesn't, um, uh, he doesn't um, gloss over. He doesn't gloss over anything. You, you notice when you're in Kings and how that... Um, uh, if the king's mom, uh, he always mentions the king's mother's name. If the king yes. <laughs> didn't do right, <laughs> and if they did right, yes. And so what we're talking about is real because, again, like you said when we started off the program, you know, you, you weren't happy uh, with Solomon, you, and what you're saying, you're making it real because one of the things I found in looking at uh, Chronicles was looking at his father. I didn't know. Uh, uh, that his father had those other children that we see leading up to uh, uh, Chronicles. And so what God does, he brings it out. And so he expects for us, as you know, to not gloss over, but just bring it out because there's somebody, maybe there's some woman, some lady, uh, some guy tonight that thought they tuned in by accident that need to hear. Because as you know, Sarah, sometimes we can be so 
heavenly mind and no earthly good. But tonight we need to be some earthly good and maybe take that mirror that you're talking about. You're not talking about throwing darts, but you're also saying uh, take the mirror and lovingly walk around you yourself so that based upon the topics we're talking about, we don't find ourselves in the same boat. So, Sarah, are these same temptations found in men and women leaders globally today? Oh, I would have to say for certain. And and, and not only leaders, but even everyday people. Mm. I think that we have a tendency to to want things that we shouldn't want. Mm-hmm. And I think that with global leaders who have the power, who have the money, who have the attention, who have polished their egos, they become very, very attractive to women. And women feel as though that this would be a very probably beneficial relationship for them to get involved in. But then, I mean, all you have to do, I mean, and again, I'm not throwing stones because certainly the everyday person comes across this temptation as well. But I have an idea that the people who are more on Instagram or social media or in the movies, they have more adulation. They have more people coming to them. So they need to be stronger because they have such a variety of people who want to be in their space. So Mm -hmm. I, I think that when we look at Solomon, we need to understand that just because God has given you wisdom, he hasn't erased who you are. Same holds true for some of these leaders. Just because you've been blessed with power and with intellect, it doesn't erase what you might be lusting for and all that pain and anguish that results from it. But again, it's that, it's that flesh versus spirit, and, and we can't let the flesh win. That's powerful. You know, when we're thinking about Solomon and and leaders or or everyday people, as you had just mentioned, one of the things that that is interesting, um, Solomon, (laughs) uh, these ladies, and it's applicable to men as well, but but we're talking about Solomon and his ladies. These ladies had been serving their own little G God, which took them Solomon's attention away from the true God. And so when we oh, correlate yeah. it to today as relates to um, whatever one's temptation uh, that one surrenders to without maybe realizing that uh, the person behind that which we've surrendered to, who they really may serve. And and I totally agree with you in terms of being uh, wary of the temptations that we may find ourselves in today, irrespective of where we happen to be at. Gary, that's very powerful. What you just said was really very, very powerful with the with with the with people's gods, little G. And 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 that is so true because you can be enamored with a person who has a lot that you obviously like, but then there's things that you know are not right, but you go along with it because you go along with it. And I think in Mm -hmm. Solomon's case, he enjoyed his women, and they had other gods, and he wanted to placate them, and he wanted to make them happy, so he he went along with it, but then he got caught up in it. And let me tell you an interesting thing, Gary, that that the Bible never never mentions it. But some of those women were worshiping gods um, they sacrificed children to. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 think of this. If Solomon had a thousand women, how many children do you think he actually had? I don't know. I have no idea. The, the Bible is silent on it. The Bible says that, that they, they mentioned Jeroboam. Um, but, you know, you wonder, did, how, how far did Solomon go with these women? And did Solomon have children with these women? Did any of these children ever end up as child sacrifices? The Bible never mentions it. It never mentions mm-hmm. it. But the, mm-hmm. but, but the crux of the matter is those women believed in that. So when we come to our day and age and somebody gets involved with a person, better be real careful 
what makes them happy because you can very easily get caught up in it as well. Mm-hmm. And that's why for believers, um, I always try to share when we talk about relationships. I look at everything as a relationship. So you have a believer that um, goes out every day and they pray and ask God to send them somebody, be it a lady or a guy. And we don't know if that person that's praying is in a right relationship with God, but they keep praying and, and finally they get desperate. And they really go out every day and really cry out to God, asking them to send them that person. So this one day they went out there and this owl, O-W-L, was listening. And that person said, God, 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 please send me somebody. And the owl said, who, who, who? And they said, anybody. Just send me anybody. And that's why what we're talking about, listeners, Sarah and I, is the fact that you do want to be careful about whom you let into your life. And if they're not in the right relationship with God, you liable to surrender to just to please them or just to be with them and whatever little G God they may be serving unknowns to you. That is that is so well put, Gary. That is so that is so compelling what you've just said and I and I hope the listeners really take it to heart because yes, I know you fall in love and you're all jazzed and there's a lot of physical attraction and this emotional attraction and this, you know, all other things that combine to make this person to be so, so somebody you want. But, and I know it takes strength, but it takes strength through prayer and through discernment to make sure that when you do make that decision to be with that person, that you take into consideration all of them and not just the parts that you find to be so, so attractive. Men, um, you know, we um, go off of pride, and that's our failure. And that's not excluding ladies. I'm just uh, saying that to men. And the reason why I am prefacing that is because I'm going to need Sarah's help. Do you, do you notice, men, there's no shame in my game? And so Sarah's probably asking, what do you need my help for? Well, when, Sarah, when you say that now, I need your help to make sure I'm not mispronouncing the lady's name, because I don't want to torture no one else's name. But when you say that, now you says, and I would ask you to correct me on the, on the pronunciation if that is not correct. But when you say that her extraordinary beauty sentence her to a life she does not want, what do you mean? Well, Melissa was Thank you. a... Yeah. <laughs> Melissa Thank you. was a beautiful young was a beautiful young woman. And um she was unusual in the fact that she was um she was mixed race. So she had gorgeous skin, beautiful eyes, and she was very exotic looking. And she was at the same time, not only was she beautiful, but she was very, very bright and very strong willed. However, she also knew that she was a woman in those days, which you really weren't worth a whole lot unless you were married. And she also could never fight against being taken for, for King Solomon. Um, she, she went along with the program because she knew if she didn't go along with it, her family would be disgraced. And, and of course, they paid for her as well. So... She was in a predicament, but she knew that she didn't have a way out. At least she, all she could do was pray. And I think that when we see ourselves in certain positions, irrespective of our looks or our backgrounds, but we find we're in a situation that we don't know how to get out of, the only way we can get through it is through prayer. Now, prayer works, and it works for Nelissa. And, and once you read the story, you'll see how it all falls into place. But um, she was trapped. Wow. Sarah, are these same temptations found in women and men who meet leaders of all types? And unlike what happened to Nalissa, where they want to be close to and please the person, but for the wrong motives? Yes, and I think what happens is in our day and age, 
when we fall in love or fall in lust, we want to please that person. We want to go along with that person's game plan. And you find a lot of, you know, women who are with abusive husbands or abusive boyfriends. And I'm sure the same holds true with men who are in, who are in abusive relationships as well. In Melissa's case, King Solomon was never, ever abusive to her. He, he, loved, he loved her in his own way, and he admired her mind, and he really enjoyed being with her. In fact, she was his favorite concubine. He wanted to spend time with her because she did challenge him. But he also had all these other women. He also had all his other projects. He also did a tremendous amount of writing with Proverbs and with the Song of Solomon. And he had a lot of things going on. Um, he also had a, a liaison with uh, the Queen of Sheba. Now, that is a supposition on my part. It's not, it's not biblical. Um, but she, was in, she, she pleased him insofar as she had a good relationship with him that she could, have a, she could have discussions with him. But she found fault with him because of what all what God gave him, everything mm-hmm. that God gave him, he still went against what God's precepts and commands were, and she could never reconcile herself to that. It didn't work for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without getting ahead of the story, you know, because Solomon, as you are hearing, started off with God's wisdom, but at the end, you know, and, and the advice he's given everyone, especially men, you know, he's letting everybody know, again, there's nothing new under the sun. But at the same time, listeners, what Sarah is sharing as relates to Solomon, his time, Melissa, but what she is sharing from a woman's perspective is applicable today, relational-wise, because I just heard the importance of, you know, of course, Solomon uh, from um, not the uh, abuse standpoint, you know, uh, physical or, or or emotional. But uh, how how about we men in relationships? Are, are we being uh, emotionally uh, abusive or physically abusive, or are we walking around carrying our titles, our power, uh, temporary power, in a manner that is not pleasing to God? And those are the questions we gotta ask and answer and be held accountable for if you're not going to hold ourselves accountable. But at the same time, again, Sarah's laying it all out. She's laying it out from a woman's perspective, and we men need to hear, because a lot of times we walk around with that pride again, maybe not knowing, and it's time for us to know. Sarah, without giving up the total book so listeners can purchase and read for themselves, does Melissa still hold on to hope that God will rescue her? Yes, she does. She, 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 she finds that hope, I believe, in discussions with Solomon by calling him on his behavior, by calling him on his thoughts. She finds hope in her prayer. She finds hope in her friends that she's made in the harem, and she's found hope in in, in people that know that she is a concubine, know that she has no choice, know that she's essentially trapped, but they also feel, hey, you know what, you might, be, you might think you're trapped, but there could always be a way out. So she holds on to her hope, and she holds on to her hope for a variety of reasons, but the main reason is through her hope in God, she knows that she will, at, at some point in time, she'll find peace, whether she ends up staying with Solomon or not. Wow. And really what you are sharing that is hopeful in relationship is the fact that irrespective of what type of relationship you're in, irrespective of um, uh, who the person is, whether they have money, have titles, have whatever, or lack thereof, there's still an accountability that should be done. And while doing the accountability, what you're sharing is that Melissa held on to God because she recognized that that's where her strength lies in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sarah, did Solomon die outside the will of God? 
Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question because that is a real tricky, tricky question. Mm-hmm. If you read, again, and I encourage your, your, your listeners to, to read um, First Kings, uh, First Kings verses, um, uh, chapters 2 through, actually two, th- 2 through 13, and then Second Chronicles 1 through 13, because it's going to give you a whole outline about, uh, in detail uh, about King Solomon and ultimately his, his son. But, um, you know, as I, as I was writing this, I'm thinking, there's no way God's going to put up with this. No way. How could he possibly? I mean, it doesn't even remotely make sense. And as I read and as I read and as I read, and then as I write, as I write, as I write, I bring in the Queen of Sheba. And um, the Queen of Sheba is also a very brilliant woman. But you can even determine that from, from the fact that she visited Solomon and she asked him so many questions. So even biblically, she was a very bright woman. Um, the Lord worked it out for me. The, the Lord definitely worked it out for me with this conversation between the Queen of Sheba and Melissa. And, and really, who are we to judge? Because we have no clue what happened before Solomon closed his eyes. So That's right. Did he, out, did he die outside the will of God? I have no idea. Was he in the will of God? He could possibly have been. Maybe, maybe his wisdom crept up on him. But mm-hmm. we don't really know that. But, but the truth to the matter is, even though I was so aggravated at Solomon, I softened myself towards Solomon as I wrote this story because at the end of the day, I have no idea what the, relate, what the end relationship, the earthly relationship was between God and mm-hmm. Solomon. Nobody knows that. That's right. You know, <clears throat> when I think of his father, David, and um, God loved David and, and made sure, as it relates to Israel, that nothing would happen uh, to Israel, nothing will. But what's interesting is we're talking about the grace, the love, and mercy of God as a loving father. And I'm reminded of the, um, the two thieves on the cross. Exactly. And how the one came to know Christ. And then I'm reminded, as you said, that um, you never know on your day that God calls your name, that one-on-one relationship with the creator and and his creation. And then I'm reminded of the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter. And so as I listen, and listeners, I know you're listening, but as I listen, Sarah has written this book for all of us. But at the same time, she's sharing what her own relationship is and have been with God. And remember, as she started off sharing her quest, her hunger, desire to know more about the living God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God through his word and how she began that search. And she looked, which we, we should in any relationship, to see if it's real or genuine. Because we want to see if the lips match the shoes. But what you also hear Sarah sharing through grace that God has blessed her with is that irrespective of the human frailty of human, that God can do what he wants to do with that person, but they got to be real with him. Sarah, you've written other books as well. And I know you shared one and you started to share another but would you share their titles and why you wrote them sure um the one that i wrote just before um solomon's concubine is uh called of friends and followers and and that's an adult book and it's about a young woman who goes through a um uh, poverty and fear and finally she finds a group of friends and she finds comfort and peace and who comes on the scene but jesus and none of them know who this jesus is so this is a journey that miriam who's the main character takes with her husband and her friends to find out who jesus is and it takes you kind of through the book of mark um uh it'll it'll give you some ideas about how people might have questioned him in those days might have couldn't believe what was going on, um, 
wanted to believe but were afraid to believe. So it will take you on, a, I think, an engaging quest of finding out who is Jesus, who is this guy, where did he come from, what's he doing? Because don't forget, people in that age are no different than people in our age. It's just that mm-hmm. we've got a, 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 so many years in between us. But they still had the same thoughts, the same questions like we have even now as we go through maybe various different churches or, or various different uh, theologies. You know, we have to, we're on that quest. Well, they were on that quest too, and we can kind of identify with that. So anyway, that's us friends and followers. And then um, my personal favorite is Blink, and that's about end times. And that takes Mm -hmm. you through um, four different groups, uh, a young family, uh, the United States, um, Israel, and the um, European Union, and the leaders of all those, and how they run in parallel with what happens to them after the rapture. And um, I, I think you'll find it really fascinating. It, 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 it's, uh, it's very apropos for what's going on right now. I mean, it really, mm-hmm. really and truly is. So anyway, that's an adult book as well. And then my other two uh, juvenile books or young teen books is um, A Christmas Dinosaur, which might be good for your, your kids for this Christmas season. And then mm-hmm. it's a, a follow-up of, uh, visit from a Shepherd Boy, those two books would be kind of fun for the Christmas season. And they're for preteens and teens. Mm-hmm. All right, listeners, you're hearing what Sarah is sharing. But before I continue, Sarah, I, I am interested in um, when, when your schedule permit to return, for you to return because I'm interested in talking a little bit more about the book Blink. Oh, oh let's yeah. do. Okay. Yeah, because that's um, – <laughs> Yeah, that's that's timely. But how can listeners purchase each one, and are they in various formats or trailers? Yes, um, they're in um, ebook, audio, and paperback, and you can find them all on Amazon. And then I think you can find them in um, Christian Books. I think it's called. And I, I really tell everybody to go to Amazon because I think everybody has access to Amazon now. Mm-hmm. For anybody who's outside of the country, I don't know how that works, but you can always get my books through Ambassador International. Mm-hmm. So, if you're, so I guess if you're outside of the country, you can get them through Ambassador and you can get them in all those formats. And if you're inside the country, Amazon is the best. Mm-hmm. Sarah, let's turn to your other ministry hat. You are the president of Team of God organization. Why did you form it and the goals for it? Well, in 2008, a friend of mine and I said, we've got to really start spreading the word of the Lord. And um, the initial idea was to get Bibles and distribute them. And then we thought, well, you know what? Let's get Bibles and and distribute them to um, other countries. And we thought, well, what countries could we distribute them to? And we ended up with... um, we started out with Nigeria, and then from Nigeria, we went to Uganda, and then, oh, man, I got a great relationship going with um, James Adupa, who has a ministry there in Lira, Uganda, and it's called Pass the Torch Ministries. Anyway, mm-hmm. what we do stateside is we get funds, and then we send the funds to James, and then James orders the Bibles through the um, Ugandan Bible Society, and he orders them in Luganda, which is uh, a local language. And then he and his um, team go out to the rural areas of Lira, and they teach and they preach, and they also help the pastors. Um, they do some teaching um, for the pastors as well, and they've reached so many people. I can't tell you how many hundreds of people they've saved. It's been a Aye. fabulous ministry. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, I just get so jazzed about it. Oh, and then the other mm-hmm. sidebar is um, they, they, uh, James asked me if I could raise some funds for community gardens. So I was able to do that, and then he bought the seeds locally because that makes sense. I was going to send them seeds, and they said, no, 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 we've got to buy them locally. So they bought the seeds locally, and they made these community gardens, which gives them which gives the rural villages the ability to um, obviously eat, but then they can um, sell the seeds so it gives them a bit of an income. So it's mm-hmm. sustainable in that they can continue with their 
um, growing of crops. They can sell the seeds, and, of course, they can eat. And, of course, mm-hmm. a, a happy belly will let them read the Bible a little bit more happier. <laughs> mm, that's right. That's right. You know, I, I, your, the projects that you're involved in are very interested. Um, would you share each of the projects? Well, the, the first project was um, getting sanitary uh, uh, supplies to the women in Uganda. In, again, I, 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 we're, we're in Lira, and that Lira is kind of central, north-central Uganda, um, east of the Lake Victoria. Um, and anyway, so the women, when they were menstruating, they couldn't go out and work in the fields. The, the young girls couldn't go to school. And I don't even want to give you the graphics of what they did to take care of themselves, but it was pretty not nice. So they were really desperate for some hygiene products so that they could continue their lives and take care of their families, take care of their crops, and go to school. So um, I uh, got some ideas together for, for designs, and then I sent them designs, and then I, which they're probably better sewers than I am, believe me on that. And then we raised money for um, sewing machines. And then at the time, now this is what get interesting. Then at the time, I was living in South Carolina in Gaffney, and they have a lot of plants that um, make fabrics. Mm-hmm. Oh, all these people were donating fabric to me. So I was getting all this fabric. And at that time, you could ship things, and it was relatively inexpensive. Now you can't do it. But anyway, so we would ship, we would ship thread, we would ship scissors, we would ship fabric, we would ship designs. And then these ladies, um, they, would, they had six sewing machines, manual sewing machines, and they, they made sanitary products for themselves, for their families, and then they were able to sell it as well. So that was, that was, that was fun. I mean, that was really fun. Um, but then um, the government was getting a little bit stringent about how we were doing things. So we moved on to Bibles. <laughs> mm-hmm. We couldn't complain about mm-hmm. Bibles. So mm-hmm. from then on, we did, um, we did Bibles, and then we also did um, mosquito netting for the, um, the orphanages in South Sudan and in um, Uganda. And, uh, and then I also did some work stateside as well. But the, the, the fun thing and the really gratifying thing is Uganda because they're a fabulous group of people and they're so mm-hmm. bright and they're so talented and oh, I just mm-hmm. I just I, I even call James my son. That's how much I love him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just mm-hmm. fabulous people. You're sharing how the Team of God projects have been working locally and globally, meeting people's needs not only materially but spiritually. There's a comment I understand one pastor testified. Now I no longer move around borrowing a Bible to help me prepare my sermon and teaching and preaching in Sunday services. Sarah, how can interested listeners become involved with Team of God organization? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, a Bible costs about uh, for James to get the Bible. Now, meanwhile, let me know, let you know they're, they're printed of all places in South Korea. But anyway. A Bible costs about $8. So if anybody wants to spend $8, I mean, it doesn't matter to me, but if you want to donate, you can go to my website, which is www.teamofgod.org, team of God being all one word, and you can go to um, donations and, and just donate on PayPal, and it's painless and it's quick, and we get the funds, and all the funds go to Bibles, and um, I'm telling you, the ministry has been, I mean, even though we're wicked small, we're really very, very small organization, but we've been able to do some incredible work with James and Pastor Torch Ministries. So if anybody would like to donate, um, you can either donate for seeds or you can donate for Bibles. Um, Just make a little note. I think there might be a drop-down menu that says Bibles. Or, or I'm not really sure, I don't really recall, but um, anyway, yes, you can go right to my website and you can go to donations. And you might just go through the website because we help, um, we help a couple of other people in Uganda doing their thing with planting. And um, uh, you can also see some of the local stuff that we've done as well, you know, locally with, um, um, well, Haiti's not local, but we've done some work for Haiti mm-hmm. and we've also done some work for, for 
now in Naples, Florida. But we All used to right. do stuff in South Carolina too. So yeah, that'd so be listen, grand if anybody wants to donate. So listen, if you can find uh, additional information and information that Sarah is talking about also in our show notes. And Sarah, speaking of James, James chapter two verse twenty six says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Why is James chapter 2, verse 26, an important scripture for you? Well, you know, when we first started to give out Bibles, and that was the first thing that we did, and then we got involved in other humanitarian things that you guys can see on the website. Um, and again, we're just very, very small people, so it's nothing really super-duper grand. But that that was so important to me because, what James was saying, hey, you know, you can have all the Bible something you want, but if you're not doing any good, what good is it? And on the other hand, you know, if you're doing great good, great good, but you're not going along with, you know, the Lord's program, what good is that? So the combination of the two makes all the sense in the world. And that's why James um, 2.26 is kind of like our mission statement, because we need to be doing good for the Lord and how much better to do good for the Lord than to do humanitarian stuff, and then at the same time to be able to give them Bibles in mm. their language. Mm. Mm. So God mm. is so good. God is so yes, good. Yes, he is. Sarah, why do you say God is always faithful, even when we may doubt his plan? Well, I can speak for myself personally. He has done so many wonderful, wonderful things for me, and I have been so, 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 so sinful. I am the prodigal. I am the prodigal, mm-hmm. and I'm the first to admit it. And he has been so good, so gracious, so forgiving, and he's shown me so many incredible, incredible things. And, you know, I, I mean, if we had time, I'd even love to share with you some of those signs he's given me because he's just so he's just so good, and he just shows me things according to, my identification of of understanding like i love nature and i love animals and he's always showing me something through nature or through animals that really just reinforces how much he loves me and how much he cares about me and how much he's thinking about me and and how much he's directing me and and he's he's just been so so good to me and 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 i've been i've not been that good and um Mm -hmm. he's forgiven me and he has to forgive me every day, and he'll forgive me tomorrow. Thank you, That's God. That's right. That's right. Listeners, you're hearing Sarah share about the prodigal daughter, just like the prodigal son. What's applicable to the guys or applicable to the ladies and verse vice? Amen. It's all coming from our <laughs> loving Heavenly Father. Sarah, any final words for the listeners? Well, I would just like to encourage everybody that, no matter where you might be in your life at this particular point in time, whether it's illness, whether it's disappointment, whether it's age, whether it's you, whatever type of challenge you might have, always know that the Lord really is listening. He really does care. And, and, and develop a relationship with God. Pray to him. Talk to him. Share your, share your problems. And, and, I, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you might not get an answer today, you might not get an answer tomorrow, but he will answer you, whether it's a yes or a no. It might even be a maybe, but don't ever think that God is not thinking about you because he sees you and he hears you all the time. Don't give up. Sarah, thank you for coming on Challenges of Faith radio program. And again, I look forward to our next uh, topic as relates to the book that's applicable for today's times. Listeners, relative to Sarah's new book, Solomon's Concubine. You know, and as I listen, I know I'm sure you did as well, listeners. Sarah shared how she started off and why she wrote each book, but particularly this specific book and what her doubts were as relates to the man known as Solomon the one that God blessed with wisdom that he asked for. And Solomon fell down throughout his sojourn, got up, fell down, got up, enough that at the end of his sojourn, he was able to tell everybody, to forewarn everybody. But what I love in listening to Sarah share, 
Do you notice how she brought it back to herself as it relates to what God taught her? Because you got to remember, she started off with that desire to know more about the Lord. So she had to cry out to him, and he heard her cry, and he answered her cry. And he began to grow her to such a degree that she began to not hold it in selfishly. She began to take that which he blessed her with to not only help inside the United States, but go across the country, out of the country, and continuing there to help others learn to help themselves by honoring God. But at the end, but it's only the beginning for Sarah, each day she recognizes who she is in the Lord, and she recognizes her own self, her own frailty, as we all should. And that means that we're really growing in him. So hold your darts, everybody. Hold your arrows. But while you're holding them, turn it around, aim it at yourself while walking around yourself so that we're all in the right relationship with God and those that he allows to come in contact with. Steve Donahue, editor and book critic, wrote, In this tale, Nalissa is a lovely young Jewish woman is recruited involuntarily into the harem of King Solomon. S.A. Jewel, which is Sarah, crafts a biblical narrative that is both beautiful and brutal. The very harshness of Nalissa's fate makes the book's persistent theme of faith and hope all the more remarkable. Christian fiction is seldom written to this level of artistry. Don't miss it. So, you know, listeners, Sarah talked about in the beginning, what her aspirations were as it related to design. Do you notice how God is allowing her to use it today? I'm Gary McCants with Challenges of Faith radio program. Thank you for tuning in to hear author Sarah, also known as S.A. Jewell, who has authored a new book titled Solomon's Concubine. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I wish all of you a very merry and blessed Christmas. You too, our sister. Thank you.